We're going to be in Matthew chapter 3 and 4. But I do want to remind you, just to give you a little background, last Sunday we started a series on walking in peace. And I want to remind you that Jesus himself said in John chapter 16 that as long as we're living in this world, we're going to experience, we're going to see tribulation or trouble. But he didn't say that we should despair or, or be depressed or give up or be fearful. He said, actually, to be of good cheer, even though you're experiencing tribulation and trouble, because I have already overcome the world. So according to Jesus, trouble should not determine our attitude or the way we take life on. We talked about the fact that peace, by definition, is quietness, rest, or being set at one, or being whole in our spirit. So peace, biblically speaking, is not the absence of trouble. It's not the absence of conflict or turmoil. Peace is a rock-solid confidence in the presence and the power and the promise of Jesus no matter what you're experiencing in life. Our key text for this series is actually found in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15 where the Apostle Paul said, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of God. So it's a choice whether or not I walk in stress, anxiety, or fear, or, or oppression, or whether I walk in peace and hope and love and encouragement. It's a choice. I have the opportunity to let God's peace take control, or I have the opportunity to allow all of the pressure of life and all of the confusion and all of the chaos and all of the voices and the noise around me in the world to take control of me. God's given us a choice. God made us free will agents, so he's not going to force his purpose on your life. But for me, it is a great blessing to know that it at least is God's will for me to have peace. So if you want to live in peace, that's God's desire for you as well. So I want to look now in Matthew chapter 3, and I want to look at where I believe our peace is rooted, where we keep our foundation if we want to remain in peace no matter what's happening in our lives. Matthew chapter 3, I want to begin reading in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 3. It says, When he had been baptized... Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now I remember there was a, a message the Lord gave me last year where we talked about the fact that God spoke of how pleased he was with Jesus at his baptism, which took place before Jesus had ever done or said anything as it relates to his public ministry. This is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, before he calls his disciples, before he begins to preach and teach, before he starts doing miracles and signs and wonders and casting out devils, before he goes to the cross, before he did any of that, he's baptized to fulfill what the prophets had said would take place. And when he comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends upon him in a physical form like a dove, and a voice from heaven speaks and says, This is my beloved Son. This is the son of my love, and I am well pleased in him. 
So the identity of who Jesus is and what he came to do was established by the word of the Father before Jesus ever did or said anything as it relates to ministry. The very next thing we see in chapter 4 is that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted or tried or tested by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered him and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He goes on and the devil takes him up, verse 5, to, to the holy city, Jerusalem, sets him on the pinnacle of the temple there. And he says to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not test, try, or tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Every temptation that Jesus endures as he goes face to face and toe to toe with Satan in the wilderness deals with his identity. God says, you're my beloved son. I'm well pleased with you. You have my approval. I love you. The very next thing is he's led, interestingly enough, by the Holy Spirit, not by his flesh, not by Satan, but by the Spirit into a dry place. The wilderness is a dry place. It was a lonely place. Jesus was all by himself in the wilderness. And the Bible says that the specific purpose for which the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness was to be tested and tried. Something we don't like to talk about, and sometimes we don't like to believe or acknowledge, but it's a fact anyway. There is a process or a preparation that God takes us through to walk in His promises. God makes promises in His Word to all of us. If you are a student of the Word of God, which I hope and pray every one of you are or are becoming, because that is the source of our hope, it's where you find out who you are and what God says will happen in your life. If you become a student of the Word of God, you find that there are all kinds of promises. One of my favorite verses that you hear me quote until you probably get tired of hearing me quote is that He has given us everything we need according to life and godliness. And through these exceedingly great and precious promises, His Word, we are made partakers of His divine, holy, unlimited, supernatural nature. I quote that verse all the time because I have to remind myself of it. All the time. That's why I love it so much. Because according to the Apostle Peter, who wrote that verse, I have everything I need right now. There's not anything lacking when I came to Christ and by faith received the promise of forgiveness through His blood. And when the Holy Spirit came to abide with me, He placed within me in the person of the Holy Spirit. And in the gifts and the fruit that the Holy Spirit brings forth in my life, everything that I will ever need for the rest of my life to do everything He called me to do and be everything He called me to be. But I have to know how to access those things. Because there's a lot of Christians who live their whole life defeated. 
There's a lot of Christians who know Jesus and know they're going to heaven, but they're as depressed as anyone else. They're as afraid as anyone else. They're as discouraged as anyone else. They don't have any more peace than anyone else. Some of them are bound in the same type of bondages that everyone else is. So even though I have all of these things through the Holy Spirit, how do I begin to appropriate them or access them? It's through the promises of God's Word. But there is a process, a preparation for walking in the promises. And many times, if not most of the time, that process takes place when you're left alone. Remember how Jacob was promised even before he was born and he was in his mother's womb with his twin brother Esau said that the the younger one would rule over the older one and talked about how God had chosen Jacob over Esau. So God had established Jacob's identity even before he was born. But then in all the turmoil of his life, Jacob wasn't necessarily walking in the character that God wanted him to. And he went through a long process, many, many years of trying to figure out who he was until one day Esau, his brother, who he had betrayed and deceived, was coming for him. And he thought that he was coming to kill him. So he sent all of his wives and his children and his possessions ahead of him. And then Jacob was left all alone at the Jabbok, the river there. And there he wrestled with a man. The Bible says it was the angel of the Lord. He wrestled. All night long he wrestled. And he said to the angel, I will not let you go until you bless me. Until you transform and change me. I'm holding on to you. I won't let go of you. Now when did this happen? When Jacob was finally left all alone. He was left all alone in a dry place. And that's when he saw the Lord. What about Moses? Moses tried to deliver the Israelites 40 years before he met God at the burning bush. But after failing to try to do it on his own, Moses went in the wilderness and he got married and and became a sheep herder for his father-in-law Jethro. But then he finally sees and hears God in a bush that's burning where? In the middle of the desert, in a dry place. And when did he come upon God in this burning bush? When he was all alone. Right after the baptism, see, God had destined Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt. God had already said those things, but Moses tried to do it on his own 40 years earlier, and he wasn't ready until he had gone through the process of finding God all alone in a dry place. Jesus led by the Spirit, by the Spirit, into the wilderness, a dry place, all alone, after fasting and praying for 40 days and 40 nights in a weakened condition, faces Satan face to face. And the first thing Satan says is, if you are the Son of God. Are you really who God says you are? That tells me something. It tells me that my peace is rooted in my identity. See, a lot of us think that our peace is rooted in our circumstances. So therefore, we think if all our bills are paid, we'll have peace. And if if our job is working out well, we'll have peace. And if everything's good in our family, we'll have peace. And if our marriage is wonderful, we'll have peace. And if the world is right, we'll have peace. And if I like who's in the White House, I can have peace. And, And all those type of things we think determine our heart's condition And yet I can point to example after example after example of children of God who have gone through some of the most extreme and difficult circumstances that you could ever imagine going through in life that had great peace right in the middle of their circumstance. Because they understood that peace doesn't come because of a circumstance that you're in or not in. Peace comes when you understand who Jesus is and who you are in Christ. If you are the Son of God, 
God already told him, you're my beloved son and I'm well pleased with you. But after 40 days and nights in a dry place, see, after 40 days and nights of being all alone and then facing the enemy in a trial and a test, in a very weakened condition, Satan knew that if he could get Jesus to doubt who God says he is, then he might just be able to do something about his destiny. And see, Satan knows that about you and I too. He knows that if we can get into a place where we'll doubt what God says about our lives and doubt what God says about our families and doubt what God says about our marriage and doubt what God says about our church and doubt what God says about who we are in Him, that He might be able to do something about our destiny. Because, see, the enemy is terrified of you and I ever really coming to a place where we're just settled in knowing that I am who God says I am and He loves me. He doesn't love me because of what I'm going to do for Him someday. He doesn't love me because of something I've already done or haven't done. God just simply loves me. He loved me so much that He gave His only begotten Son that He would suffer and die for me. And so Satan says, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. The first temptation he gives is to cause Jesus or try to get Jesus to manipulate the circumstances around him for his own favor. And one thing that robs our peace from us over and over again is when we try to control the circumstances in our life. I've said this over and over recently. I'm going to say it again. Control is an illusion. Nobody is really in control. You're not in control of the future. You're not in control of your life. You're not in control of your family. None of us are in control. And any time you think you are, it is an illusion. However, the enemy oftentimes will cause all kinds of stress, fear, and anxiety in our lives when we feel like we're out of control. And therefore, he causes us to try to do everything we can and say everything we can to manipulate our circumstances and even to manipulate people around us, however we choose to do that, so that we can feel peace, thinking that if we are in control of our circumstances, we can truly feel good on the inside. But that's a false hope. You can be in the middle of the worst circumstances and have complete peace. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel. They're facing a burning, fiery furnace. As a matter of fact, not only are they facing a fiery furnace, the, the king has now heated it up seven times hotter. And he says, what God will be able to deliver you? But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, our God is, we know for a fact, able to deliver us, O king. But listen to this piece. Even if he doesn't, we will not ever bow our knee to you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew something from experience. Their God was greater than the king that they faced. Their God was greater than the problem that they faced. Their God was even greater than death itself. Therefore, they would never bow their knee to anyone but the one true God. Though he is able to deliver, even if he doesn't, we're still totally at peace with our decision. We will honor God because we know who he is. Anytime you find yourself trying to manipulate and control your circumstances and situations to cause you to walk in more peace and more comfort, understand that that's the same old temptation that Satan used on Jesus so many years ago. The only thing you really need to know is that you are greatly and mildly loved by God. You are his child and you are called 
for his purpose. His promise is true. His spirit is with you. And it doesn't matter what's going on around you. You can still walk in God's peace. The next thing Satan does is he takes him to the temple in Jerusalem and he sets him up on the very highest point of the temple. And again, here's this statement. If you are the Son of God. Okay, I know what was said about you, Jesus, but if that's really who you are, prove it. Jump off of here. Jump off of here. And if you really are the Son of God, everything will be okay. I mean, after all, and Satan quotes Scripture to him. Now, that's not what we're going to talk about today, but I can never go past that verse without reminding you that Satan knows Scripture better than some Christians do. So it's very important for us to be very careful to try the spirits to see if they're of God. Because though Satan can quote Scripture, he always quotes it out of context. And he always leaves a part out. So he quoted the Scripture, God will give his angels charge over you to bear you up in their hands so that you won't even dash your foot against a stone. He quoted from Psalm 91. But Jesus knew Scripture better than he did, and he said, yeah, but it's written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. First, he tried to get Jesus to manipulate and control the circumstances around him for his own benefit. You're hungry? Make the stones into bread. Satisfy your own need with the power and the anointing of God. Let the power and anointing and promise of God be about you and not about others and not about calling and not about destiny if you're really the Son of God. Manipulate this thing There's, so that you can get your needs met. Second thing he tells him to do or tries to get him to do is to prove it. Show it. Show it. Prove. Manifest whoever you are. I love what my pastor told me so many years ago. I've tried to live by it throughout my life in ministry. He said that if you really know who you are, you never have to prove it to anybody. The people who are always going around trying to prove who they are only show you that deep, deep down inside, they're really not secure in who they are. If you really know who you are and who God's made you to be, you can be at rest. You can simply do what God called you to do for His glory and not worry about doing anything else because you don't have to prove anything to anyone because you already have the approval of the only one who matters, and that's your Heavenly Father. And see, in trying to get Jesus to prove something, not only was Jesus right in saying that it was a tempting the Lord, being presumptuous to do that. You know why? Because God hadn't told him, the Father had not told him to do that. Jesus stated, he said, I only do what I see the Father doing, and I only speak the words that I hear the Father speaking. Now, Satan was quoting Scripture out of context to him, saying, go ahead and jump, and the angels will keep you in their hands. But he had not heard the Father say that to him. I'm going to tell you something. One of the reasons people lose their peace is because they give in to every single opportunity that comes their way because they are afraid that if they don't do everything that they have an opportunity to do to show who they are, that somebody might think something different about them. So they're living for the approval of others instead of living for the approval of God. And when you do that, you will have zero peace. And Satan knows that. I've said it before this way, and it's true. There are all kinds of good things, but you're not just looking for good things. You're looking for the one God thing. What's important is that you find what God's thing is for you. Find what God's called you to do. Find what God's gifted you to do. Find what God's equipped you to do, and then do that. Do that with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and all for God's glory. And let other people do what God's called them to do and what God's gifted them to do. Celebrate their victories. Let them celebrate your victories. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, but never feel like you've got to prove 
who you are to anyone. If you begin to live for the approval of other people, you will constantly be at the mercy of other people's agenda. They will be in control of your agenda instead of you being in control of your agenda, or more importantly, instead of God being in control of your agenda. Show it. Prove it. But Jesus wouldn't do that. He said, I'm not going to presumptuously test the Lord by doing something He hasn't told me to do. I've learned over the years, there are a lot of good things. By the way, anybody who's afraid of getting older, don't be. There's a lot of wonderful things about getting older. One thing that I have learned about getting older is I don't really have to prove anything to anybody anymore. When I was young, I used to try to prove to a lot of people, oh, I'm this and oh, I'm that. And all that was was showing an insecurity in me. Right now, I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody. So I get opportunities all the time to do all kinds of things, even all kinds of good things, and I have absolutely no problem with saying, nope. God bless you. I pray for good things, but that's not me. It's not my thing. Not my thing. Well, don't you think people will think maybe you're not as compassionate and loving and serving and kind? They might, but that's their problem. Because you see, if I start giving into their agenda, I've got to live by their schedule. And when I start living by their schedule, then I can't do what God actually called me to do well. And when I can't do what God's called me to do well, I find myself getting angry and irritated, and, and I'm not a good person to be around. So what am I really showing people? <laughs> I'm showing just how human I am. And that's all true, but I would rather do it God's way. Again, what's this rooted in? The enemy's trying to steal the identity that the Father had al already said was Jesus's without him even doing a thing. Next thing he does is he shows them all the kingdoms of the world and all of their glory, all of their riches. He said, all of these things can be yours right now if you'll just bow down and worship me. Now, I'm not going to have you turn there because I'm not going to keep you more than I need to today, but in Isaiah chapter 9, the Bible prophetically speaks of the Messiah and says his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We quote that scripture a lot at Christmas time. But there's another little verse tucked in there and it says, the governments, all the governments of all the world will be upon his shoulders. But there was something that Jesus had come specifically to do. Jesus had come to carry the sin debt for all of mankind for all time. He was going to carry your sins and my sins. He was going to suffer where we deserve to suffer. He was going to be humiliated where we deserve to be humiliated because of our sin. He was going to go to the cross. He was going to die, and on the third day, he's going to rise again and reign forevermore as the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. But the process, and here's that word again, the process that Jesus had to go through was a very difficult one. Matter of fact, it was so difficult that in the Garden of Gethsemane, we find Jesus sweating, the Bible says, so, so profusely in, in the turmoil that it was like great drops of blood coming down to the ground as he sweated and prayed. And he said, Father, if there's any way that this cup, this thing I know I've got to go through, if there's any way we could do it another way and it could pass from me, then let it be so. But nevertheless, not your will, or not my will, but yours be done. So there was great suffering along the path, the process of Jesus stepping into everything that the Father had destined and said would be His. Je what Satan is trying to do is he's trying to get Jesus to take a shortcut that's painless. Oh, oh, so you're the Son of God. That means you're coming to, to be king, to rule over all the kings of the world. Well, here they are. The, the, I can give you all of them right now and you don't have to suffer. Matter of fact, you can have them right now. 
just, just shortcut this whole process. No, no cross, no blood, no beating, no crying great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. None of that. No, no three days in a grave. None of that. We can just do this the easy way. We can do this the painless way. We can do this instantly right now. won't cost you anything except you just got to bow down and worship me. And of course, Jesus said all three times, he goes to scripture, it is written, it is written, it is written. And he says, it's written, you shall worship the Lord God and only him shall you serve. And then he says to Satan, just get, get away from me. Leave. And he did. That whole test where Jesus was led by the Spirit to a dry place all alone was about his destiny and his identity. And our destiny and identity is in God is the foundation of where our peace comes from. You see, if you really, really, really at the core of your being believe that God loves you and that that love can't be shaken. The Apostle John said that where there is perfect love, it drives all fear away. That wherever there's fear, it only shows that you've not been made whole or complete or perfect in the love of God. So that knowing deep down that God really, really loves me. He doesn't love me because I'm a, a worship. He doesn't love me because I pray. He doesn't love me because I go to church. He doesn't love me because I teach or preach or do this ministry or that ministry or for anything I'm going to do as I get closer to God down the road. He just loves me. He loved me so much that before I even made a decision to look or seek after him, he sent his son to die for me and shed his blood for me. That's how much he loves me, and I really know that he loves me my deepest, most foundational source of knowing who I am and my deepest source of peace is my identity that I am a son or daughter of the Most High God through the blood of Jesus Christ. When you believe that and nothing can shake that, then fear doesn't have... You see, if I know that God loves me and I know He's never going to quit loving me and I know He's with me all the time and I know He rules and reigns all the time, then, hey, the world can be a mess, but that doesn't mean I have to be a mess. Matter of fact, it's only when I'm really secure in the love of God and walk in peace that I can minister to a broken world the way God designs for me to. See, the reason a lot of people aren't being effective in being able to minister to the world as it is is because they're as caught up in the frustration and the anger and the unforgiveness and the bitterness and resentment and turmoil of the moment as the people out there who don't know Christ. And therefore, when they go to try to do some kind of righteousness they do it from a wrong spirit instead of a right spirit but as a child of God you can see the turmoil and the frustration but it doesn't have to get on the inside of you because you know that you're redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ you're filled with the very spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead you're on this world for a purpose you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth and nothing on the outside of you has to get on the inside of you and therefore you can walk into those circumstances where people are broken and hurting and angry and undone and you can do it without your peace ever being disrupted and then people will begin to look and say what is the difference between you and me and you can tell them it has nothing to do with me it's just because of who I know I am because of how much Jesus loves me and he loves you too and ultimately where nothing else will ever heal all the divides in our nation Jesus's love can I know it can because it's done it before this isn't the first time we've experienced moments like this in the nation, but every one of the great moments or, or, or tragic moments we've seen have been met with a revival, a move of God. 
And that's what we're waiting on in this generation. The only difference is most of us, many of us in this generation are looking more to what man can do than what God can do. As a matter of fact, people ridicule Christians now for making statements like, we will be praying for you. Listen, I want to tell you something. You can disagree or agree. It doesn't matter to me because I know how true it is. There's nothing more powerful you will ever do for anybody at any time than truly and genuinely pray for them. I'm not talking about throwing up some token prayer. I'm talking about really getting on your face before God and lifting someone up before God. It is one of the greatest things that you could ever do. If Jesus did it and if Paul did it and if Peter did it, I guarantee you it's powerful. But you see, you don't know that unless you know who you are. So the enemy's desire is to get you to manipulate situations around you so that you can feel in control. There's no peace there. Because about the time you get, how many of you know this, about the time you get one situation under control, something else will pop up over here. Then you've got to go try to manipulate that and control it, but by the time you get that, that one's back out of, out of the box again. And so it's a constant thing, no peace. If he can get you to try to prove who you are, by showing it all the time, then you're going to be constantly looking for approval from others, and that's going to keep you constantly busy, messed up. Your mind's going to be all frayed and, 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 and because you're always trying to please someone else instead of just being thankful for being pleasing to God through the blood of Jesus. Finally, if we really want to walk in peace, we can't take shortcuts. As I get close to closing today, I want to say something that's very important and that our generation doesn't really want to hear. There are things that you will never learn or know about God until you allow God to take you into the season of the wilderness. Because there has to come a point in your life where all the other voices are shut out and you're just hearing God. Because as well-meaning as, as many voices are, it's the voice of God that we need to hear. Now, I'm not saying you have to go live off alone in some distant place and not have any communication with the world, but I am saying that we do have to follow the Holy Spirit sometimes into seasons of discontent, moments when you feel really restless. You see, they're not comfortable. Let me tell you, Jesus' 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness was not comfortable. Being tempted by Satan face to face is not comfortable. Moses in the wilderness, it wasn't comfortable. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before King Nebuchadnezzar, none of that was comfortable. Daniel in the lion's den wasn't comfortable. Jacob at Jabbok facing with his brother Esau coming to confront him. None of that is comfortable, but all of it was necessary. See, God will oftentimes allow us to walk through things that aren't comfortable because they're necessary. And God doesn't bring us into these points so that we can just go through a hard time. He brings us into this point so that we can prove that everything God has said to us is actually true. It's a reality. You see, the fact that God said, you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, that was truth. That was rock-solid, unshakable truth. And everything that the wilderness did was prove that what God had already said was actually a reality. Do you know why many times you're walking through the battle that you're walking through that's stealing your peace from you? It's not because God doesn't care. It's not because God's forgotten about you. It's not because God's not there with you. It's just that he puts you into this place just like a father with a child that's been trying to teach you how to ride a bike and he finally takes off the training wheels and, he, and he's holding the back of the bike for a while and the kid thinks, all right, he's got me. I'm fine. This is fun. And then he just lets go. 
And I've never seen the child yet who doesn't at least crash once. And quite a few kids get quite upset at dad when they crash that first time because they skin up their knees or whatever and they don't ever want to get on the bike again. But how many of you know they're never going to learn to ride the bike if they don't get back on it? And if the father doesn't allow that child to go without him holding on to the back. See, the, the father's never far behind. There's never any real life-threatening danger. But that doesn't mean there's not any pain. And it doesn't mean there's not any discomfort. <laughs> but the joy of getting on that bike and riding it on your own, <laughs> now that is glorious. But you'll never do it unless you're willing to go through the process. How many things in life are like that? How much truer is that spiritually? There is a wilderness time for every... As a matter of fact, every new level of revelation, I think, requires a time in the wilderness. A time of, of taking the things that God has spoken to you in the light and proving that they are reality in the dark. That's what Jesus went through. But the reason Jesus never walked away from his destiny and the reason Jesus never lost his peace was because he never forgot what the Father had said. You are my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. I want to finish this up just real quick. I'm not going to read it to you. But if you looked over in Luke chapter 4, it says that immediately following this time of testing in the wilderness, Jesus returned from the wilderness, says, in the power of the Holy Spirit. After this time of testing, he came out under the power of the Holy Spirit. He walks into the temple. He takes the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he reads from the place where it says that the Spirit of the Lord would be upon the Messiah, and he would be anointed to preach the good news to the poor, to set captives free, to bring recovery of sight to the blind, to, to set at liberty those who are weighed down and are oppressed. And then he rolled up the scroll, and he handed it to the attendant, and he said to the crowd that was listening, this day, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Notice this. Jesus walks out of the wilderness after this temptation that rooted in who he truly was. Whether the word of the Father was true or whether his feelings were true. Jesus won that battle because he refused to be moved from trusting in the word of his Father. So he comes out of that testing time in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing exactly who he is and what he's come to do. And he walks into the temple and he says, this is what the Messiah has come to do. He's going to set captives free. He's going to cast out devils. He's going to give sight to the blind and preach good news to the poor. Rolls it up and says, okay, today's the day. I'm here. This is it. But that happened after the testing. Some of you right now are going through a testing time. Things aren't easy. Matter of fact, you had found some revelation from God. You had found some truth from God. You felt like God had made some promises in your life, and, and you accepted them. But then it just seemed like the minute you accepted what God had said, you walked right into a battle. All of a sudden, it seems like everything's dry. You're not getting anything anymore. It seems like constantly you're going through one battle after another. And right now, the biggest temptation oftentimes is, did God really say that? Am I really what God says I am? Can I really trust in the promises of God? Do you see a pattern Satan hadn't changed. 
He's still trying to rob you of your peace. Some of you are trying so hard to stay in control of all your situations, manipulating behind the scenes, working like a madman or a madwoman, trying to, trying to gain control over everything. And all it does is the minute you try to get control over one thing, something else goes awry and you never have peace. Some of you can't say no to anything, anywhere, or anybody because you're always worried about what somebody's going to think about what you're going to say. You're always trying to show and prove who you are when God already said this is who you are before you ever did or said anything and you have no peace. And some of you are trying to take every shortcut that you can because you want life to be painless. You don't want any difficulty. You don't want any stress. You don't want any turmoil. And you don't understand that your peace comes from the inside of you, not from the outside of you. Your peace is rooted in who God says you are. You can walk in peace. You're called, according to the Apostle Paul, to walk and live in peace. Jesus said, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You can live in peace. Starting next Sunday, we're going to talk about some very practical, down-to-earth, everyday ways that we can walk in peace. But this is the foundation. The foundation of our peace is in what Jesus has done in our lives and who Jesus says you are. Don't let anything steal that from you. And if you're going through a tough time, if you feel like you're all alone in a dry place, understand, this is just the process. This is just the preparation for you to experience the promise of God. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for time in your presence today. In worship, we thank you for the word. I thank you that you've called your people to live in peace. Lord God, no matter what the conflict around us, no matter what the chaos around us, Lord, we thank you that the Spirit of God is within us. And Lord, the Spirit of God grants us peace if we'll just believe your word. Lord, peace is confidence in your presence and your power and your promise. In spite of our problems. So, Father God, I pray that as your people, we would rise up and take hold of who you are. Or that we'd not try to manipulate the circumstances to control them, but we just trust you. Father God, that we would not always be trying to prove who we are, show who we are, and therefore have our agendas manipulated by others. But, Father, we just simply know who we are and do what you've told us to do. And, Father God, that we wouldn't always try to take shortcuts when things get tough. But Lord, we trust your timing. We trust your hand behind the scenes, guiding us, protecting us, leading us. That we know that your plan is good for us, not evil. To give us a future and a hope, just like you told Jeremiah. God, I pray that we would trust in you. For everybody in this room today who's battling with uncertainty, who's battling with anxiety or fear or stress. Lord, that's normal life. But you've called us. You've said we can live a supernatural life, that you've given us everything we need, and we find it in the promises of your word. I pray that, God, we would take our confidence in you today and we would allow the chaos to just melt away, the fear to just melt away as we become more and more assured of your love for us. In Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, I would say that I think I know everybody in the room and I may think that everybody's born again and right with God. But I don't ultimately know your heart. So I don't ever want to close a service unless God just tells me to without giving you an opportunity to make things right with God. Whether you're a Christian or you're not, whether you've never known the Lord or you've known God and you're just not walking with Him like you know you should right now, 
If there needs to be change in that area of your life, would you lift your hand this morning? Because before I talk about anything else, I want to pray for you. All right? Anybody else? Okay, secondly, you're a Christian and you know you're a Christian, but my goodness, you don't have any peace at all. Chaos, confusion, stress, anxiety, fear, worry. That's actually what identifies your life, not peace. Maybe you thought there's nothing I can do about that. That's just the way it is. That's the way it is with my family. It's the way it's always been. You just don't know my circumstances. No. But I know your Savior. And I know His Word. And I know His promise. And I know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And His Word applies to all of us. And I know you can have peace. Matter of fact, you've been called to have peace. To walk in it and live in it. He offers it to you. But you got to trust in His love. you got to trust in where the Holy Spirit is leading you. you got to trust that what God says about you and what God's declared over your life is true no matter what your experience is today. You can walk in peace right in the middle of the storm that's brewing in your life right now. If you just need peace, Would you lift your hand because I want to pray for you today. Anybody like that, all right? Anybody else? Your life is more identified with chaos and stress and fear than it is peace right now, but you know that God's speaking to your heart. He wants you to have peace and you can have peace. You want prayer, all right? Anybody else? Just put your hand up. You can put it right back down this morning. Okay, can we stand throughout the house this morning? Father, in the name of Jesus today, We pray for each one whose hands just went up. First of all, Father God, we just thank you today that, Lord, you know where we are. And, Lord, no matter how far we drift away from you, Father God, you lovingly call us home. And you're right there when we come running to you with your arms wide open, ready to meet us there and welcome us home. And, God, I pray that, Lord, as people just give whatever it is that calls them to run away to you, Lord, they run to your arms and they find your embrace and they receive your love and your forgiveness right now, this moment, in Jesus' name. And Father, for everybody in this room today who's struggling with anxiety, struggling with fear, struggling with stress, struggling with confusion or whatever it may be that's robbing them of their peace, Lord, whether they're the ones that are trying to control their situations that can never have peace because they can never have complete control, Lord, whether they're the ones that can't say no and they're constantly being led by someone else's agenda and someone else's schedule and they never have peace because they're always trying to show who they are. Or Lord, whether they always try to take shortcuts and they're never able to find that place of identity with you because they're always moving around your plan for their life. God, whoever they are and wherever they are, I pray, God, that they would allow your peace to rule today because that's what they're called to. Lord, they'd allow your peace to reign in their lives and in their hearts in their relationships, in their marriages, in their homes, at their workplace. God, it doesn't matter what conditions are on the outside of us. What matters is the peace that's on the inside of us. We choose to let your peace rule today. We thank you for it. We speak peace over each heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We love you today. If you need prayer for anything at all, let us know. We'll be around. Prayerfully, everything is still safe, but drive safely as you head home. Be blessed.